We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the True Faith Weekly Podcast, sponsored by Phoenix Taxis and Coaches. To book online, please visit www.phoenixtaxis.net. True Faith Weekly Podcast, special edition this week, Newcastle United Victory Edition. <laughs> Get in. A year, a year to the day that we beat Spurs last year for our first win. Is it? Mental that. Mental that's been a year, but you can go, you can reference everything, can't you? Like, mental that, the bloody... We went this long last season without winning as well. We went, no, it was because the Euros are this season, they've packed more in because oh, the season yeah, finishes yeah. earlier. Started earlier. Yeah, yeah, started earlier. So, um... We started earlier this season, so there's more games played. I think we won six without a win last year. But, yep, yeah, a year to the day, Newcastle beat Norwich 6-2, and I'm joined by Michael Collin, Richie Smith, and Mike, the two London lads, uh, on Skype to discuss this and other things today. We're going to talk about... I didn't realise we were giving out our full names for this. Do you want us to back up our first names? <laughs> going to start getting dodgy phone calls from the Sissoko fan club, Mickey. <laughs> um, you too, Richie. Um... Yeah, so today we're going to talk through Newcastle, uh, the win, what does it mean, has a corner been turned, uh, then we are going to talk about Sissoko, we're going to have a whole part of the show on Musa Sissoko. I think it was Mark Douglas uh, on Twitter today making the point that only in England, or possibly only Newcastle, he said, would a player uh, create four goals in a 6-2 win, and the majority of the debate after the game be about dropping them for next week, because he didn't <laughs> defend probably. And uh, it, it is an interesting debate, and we're going to get into that quite a lot later on, especially with Richie and Mickey uh, having a vastly different view to my own. Mike's going to give us an independent view of Mrs. Soko, and I've also been canvassing Twitter and Facebook today and had some really, really good feedback from people. So moving on, Mickey, Newcastle won. I'd never thought it would happen. 6-2, six, six goals. And it, and it was like, the, the goals happened so, like, they were so grouped together. There could have been more. It was like for, for large parts of the game, it was kind of foot off the gas type thing. But yeah. my question to you: What went right 
on Sunday compared to the previous eight games? I think, first of all, you have to say that Norwich were absolutely <laughs> abysmal. Um, they, they, oh, they're shocking. I think they're, they're down. They look down. Um, in terms of Newcastle, though, I think Mitrovic and Perez up front together makes a massive difference because the ball's not just coming straight back at us time after time after time. I thought... Um, I just think those two link really well. Uh, it's it's something we've not had for a long time now with, with two up front. Obviously, we had the three, Denver, Cissé and Ben Arthur in that season when we were class who who linked up as a unit well and attacked as a unit well. But since then, it's always just been one man on his own running about. So it was a nice change to see two people at the top of the pitch and the ball not just firing back in the defence. I thought Colaccini and Mbemba handled the ball well and distributed the ball well better than they have in the rest of the season and that is a good platform for the for the rest of the game if I'm completely honest as a team I didn't think we actually played that well I don't think I don't think we really deserved a 6-2 victory I thought we played well but I don't think we deserved 6-2 by any means um, and the fundamental thing that won us a game was when Yaldon was, was absolutely class he was all over the pitch he looked he's really good in the air yeah, brilliant. Yeah, three of his four are of his head now. Yeah, he's not that tall. Well, I mean, he's got six goals, and four of them, I think. Is it four? Five of them. Four of them. How many headers was there? <laughs> he so he scored that one from outside the box. You know, two headers. So four of his six goals this season have been headers. Yeah, and for like a, for a number ten who's been playing in Holland, you don't expect that kind of player to be coming in and, and heading it in. Um, so that that pleased me a lot. I think I think he looks he looks really good. Funny that he's he's kind of come to life in this left wing role, despite not playing that much in the left wing. Uh, I couldn't have reached you in a second, but I thought really positive things from the game was that, and you alluded to it there. Sissoko and Wijnaldum have been given an absolute clear um, invitation to a come inside, b swap flanks, and c get in the box. Whenever possible, they were almost like overcrowding the area. Yeah. If you look at Wijnaldum's third, I think, I'm losing track, when he got the ball, uh, when he headed that goal in, Sissoko was just missed it. Um, offside where, as well. Yeah, offside. But they'd obviously been told, get in the box. Yeah, you know, yeah. there was a, a moment uh, at nil-nil when Dummett whipped the ball in and Sissoko was in the box as well. So it's clearly um, a different ball game to last season, especially when we'd never had any players in the box. Not only did the centre-backs have... Uh, the two strikers to worry about they quite often had the two wingers almost playing a 4-2-4 formation yeah. when we had the ball in the final third of the pitch so that was really good for McLaren and he'd obviously identified that Norwich were weak from the ball, ball into the box as were we um, hideously <laughs> weak uh, do you think before I come to Richard do you think that's a corner turn I know you said Norwich were garbage which they were do you think it's this is like we're going to be alright because I'm not I'm not going to lie I've been saying in print a lot especially for True Faith I thought Newcastle were down this season I didn't think we had it in us to score twice no I agree with that um, I think it's very very early days to say we've turned the corner it's, it's one game I know we've won 6-2 but we've beaten Norwich at home and in any other season and even in this season you've, Newcastle should beat Norwich at home there no, should be no questions asked mm. these aren't the games that are going to define the season it's when teams like Liverpool Spurs Everton even Villa Stoke Swansea all of those like solid teams if we're going to ah. turn them over Vile. not Villa um <laughs> If we're going to be turning them over at home regularly, then we've turned the corner. But beating Norwich, people shouldn't get carried away about this. It's not. 
we're not a different side to what we were three weeks ago. We've just had one good day. Maybe it's an indication of how far things have fallen this season. That I'm absolutely buzzing. I mean, I'd be buzzing anyway when we scored six goals and won by four. But yeah, like you say, it's Norwich were there to be beaten. And we'll come on to Norwich a little bit later for any unlikely Norwich fans listening. Good. I thought defensively, we weren't great. We looked fragile. We looked exposed. Especially in the first half, every time Norwich had the ball, it looked like they were going to score. That's not sustainable. Um, we're not going to score six goals every week. No. Uh, Richie, uh, Mickey just alluded to it there, the threat of Mitrovic, Perez and Wijnaldum. Uh, excited by it? Do you think, again, I'm, I'm talking about this word sustainable, do you think they're going to be a continued threat throughout the season and it's something we can hang our hats on and think well, there's goals in this team? Um, I'm excited about it, but you know, that excitement could easily just be completely taken out of us if, you know, this weekend or even next week, you know, we, we, we revert back to form where, you know, those players don't don't put in that kind of performance, don't put in that, that kind of a, uh, you know, show off what they can do on a, on a regular basis. And I think that's going to be the, you know, the, the big sticking point of how well Newcastle end up doing this season. Um, you know, have, have those players and, and and, and has McLaren got it got it in themselves to, to keep that level of performance up? Um, is is a, is, a, is a big is a big question for me. The uh, the going back to just one of the things that you, you lads was talking about then and talking about the role of Wijnaldum and Sissoko yesterday in the system. Like I, I, I'm still confused largely as to what you know what Wijnaldum's position is. I mean, if you if we were indeed playing four four two. Uh, yesterday, you know, we we are not playing with we're not playing with uh, kind of natural wingers, um, as you would expect with that with that sort of system. Those uh, wide players who are you know traditionally more central players will will cut inside, um, which is what Wijnaldum and uh, Sissoko did all game long, and uh, reap the benefits of that. Um, but yeah, it's still it's a, it's a you know, are we are we actually playing a four four two, or is that is that just kind of what it's what, what's going down on on paper on the on the lineups at the start of the match? But actually, you know, what's uh, you know what's actually uh, trans, transforming on the pitch is, is it, 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 it almost looks like yesterday we were ended up playing a four two kind of three one if you like, which was you know a formation which has almost been you know including myself lambasted a bit. So it's quite quite strange. It would be good good to come uh, come out of that point and hear your your views on that. Um, but I guess just to answer, answer the question about the the, the potential of, of those four players, the the Wijnaldum, Sosogo, Perez, and Mitrovic, and what what they can all do, you know, they, they were linking again like a dream yesterday. They really were, and you saw each and every one of those players. I think you saw the the absolute um, strong attributes, individual attributes of each one, and it all just all, and it all just came kind of came to fruition. You had Sosogo. Who you know I've been massively critical of as you uh, as you as you as you're all aware. Um, just you know uses is is yesterday I've been I've, I've, why is it why has Mrs. Sogo why is it taking until yesterday for him just to realise that he's probably the quickest player in our team and probably when he gets to go one of the quickest players in the entire league. He gets the ball and he runs with it and nobody can come near him. Nobody can match him for pace. He did that all game long, carried the ball through through the middle, through the through the flanks. Well, we're going to talk about yeah. him later, Richie. So keep yeah, it, yeah, yeah. keep it on the wraps. <laughs> you had Perez, who I made a point on Twitter today that 
I mean, I, don't, I can't remember in Newcastle in my lifetime having a play, having a player who had as, has as good a touch as a Yuzi Perez. Someone said mentioned Ben Arthur, and I think that's a good shout. But I don't think Ben Arthur had that kind of that intricate touch that that, that uh, Perez had. I think it was the the build up to uh, Mitrovic's goal yesterday. He, he received the ball, Perez, and it wasn't a very clean pass, but he turned it into like a, you know, he, he just got the ball under control, laid it off uh, to Sissoko, and he, he just the lad has just got incredible, incredible technical ability, um, and I think you know again we saw the best of that yesterday. Uh, you look at Wijnaldum, we've already we've already touched upon, you know, I mean he's he's just a, a player who is just will just get in the box at every single opportunity, and. Um, you know, with a with a goal scoring midfielder potentially as prolific as he can be, I mean we're not gonna we're not gonna see him last long in Newcastle shirt. I think that's a that's a given. Um, and Mitrovic finally, I mean, the lad just kind of just oozes passion for one thing, but he's also for, for someone who's criticised being a bit of a, a, a hot head and a bit immature, he's actually looks quite smart on the pitch as well. I mean, you saw some of the runs he makes. I mean, for Wijnaldum's final goal yesterday as well. you saw Mitrovic make a run he realised that he wasn't going to get the ball played through for him but he just still carried two defenders away from Wijnaldum and I just thought it was a very smart thing to do it was very unselfish um, and it just shows that he's, he's, you know, he's, got a, he's got a pretty good football brain about him and probably better than what maybe a lot of people assumed he, he, he would have and his, uh, you know, his, his finish was, 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 was absolutely top class as well so I think you know, taking that all into consideration those four if they can keep that level of performance, we're going to see uh, we're going to see us you know, cause problems and score goals, uh, you know, every week. But again, it all comes down to that level of uh, that level of consistency. Yeah, and uh, I, I agree with everything you say there, especially Perez's touch. I think he's just dead good at football, and I think the more he plays in the team and the more he plays in England, he'll get fitter, he'll get stronger, he'll understand how to play up front in the Premier League and. I've kind of said this before. I said it on the podcast last season and got wrongly laughed at. He reminds me of Luis, Luis Suarez. I've not seen a, yeah. a player who, with two players around him in any position in the pitch, he beats them and it's all, he, it almost becomes so routine that you're not that impressed anymore. But there's very few players in the Premier League, especially in the final third of the pitch, who could take out two or three defenders in, in like one drop of a shoulder or yeah. one movement. Yeah. Just, I don't know what Mickey thinks, but we're, we're definitely played 4 4 2. Um, obviously, like we're the, I want to come on to Norwich after we've talked about Newcastle, but we're going to talk about them a little bit later. But you could see Norwich's um, control of the game in possession. Norwich had vastly superior possession in Newcastle um, because they had that extra man in midfield. And although, like you say, I think that the formation was very fluid. You had Iose Perez dropping very deep, maybe to make it a four-four-one-one, and you had them. Um, the wingers coming inside and swapping over quite a few times. It did even out of possession when you know because I'm quite high up. I was in the box yesterday. You could clearly see it was a four four two or four four one one compared to the four two three one. But I just want to ask Mickey a couple of things there. But what what Richie said, Mickey, I mean Mitrovic, he's touched on saying he, he seems very calm. Uh, do you have anything to say about that? I mean, it was very. Uh, where's the media? Praise of that goal, really. I've, I've, probably one of my favourite ever goals. I've seen just the way that Sissoko and Yamat won the ball in the corner, played a one-two with Perez, the smash in. Uh, do you think he's getting getting the praise he deserves, or you're asked about him getting praise? Don't really care. Uh, yeah. the, the, the national media's opinion on Newcastle means absolutely nothing at all to me. Hmm. Um, I hope I hope he's recognised <clears throat> in the team for his hard work and 
his seeming change in attitude is very early doors to say that but if he can keep himself sensible and keep himself out of the book then he, he looks like he could be a really quality player um, I agree with you about that goal it was brilliant wasn't it so watching good. all the way up the pitch we, don't, we haven't seen that for a while have we it's almost like five seconds and it was a goal and that's like you say and come on it's so good a bit it's his pace made it he made yeah. that goal but what a, what a ball through and what a touch I made a comment on Twitter last night like you can't score that goal on FIFA try <laughs> like the game can't make you have that chest down the composure you let it drop you let the ball bounce almost twice it bounce once and it come down before striking it he's absolutely belted it as well I love seeing people smash it in the door do, 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 you know what, do you know what impresses as well that's just on that is Mitrovic clearly isn't blessed with pace or kind of um, agility if you like but like look at like look at when he on the counter attack if you watch him he's just got one thing in his mind is to just to find the position like that he needs to be in to receive that ball and to make himself dangerous. And you see him running; he's not—he's not just running into like an, uh, you know, an aimless and like an aimless straight line. He's, he's, he's running into a specific part of the you know, part of the pitch, just in, into a you know like that that he, he's almost like smithing that ball from Sissoko. And I just think he's—he's he's just shown that he's got a lot of—he's he's got a lot going on in his head that he's uh, you know that that he's. Maybe doesn't isn't getting the credit for at the minute that he's actually got probably quite a lot of intelligence, and I think it probably shows why he, why he got so many goals in Belgium because he's you know he, he knows the positions that he needs to get in in order to uh, you know in, in order to kind of give him the best chance to, to, to score a goal. He's another one. He's what he's just turned twenty two, I think, or twenty one. Uh, yeah. too, too good for Newcastle, most likely, but time will tell. Yeah. Um, Mike, thanks for joining us. Uh, gonna get you in. It's all right, just about here, you're. Yeah, we're gonna get you in on the uh, crack here for in the first part of the show. So congratulations, special week for you. I did that last time. Did you do that last yeah. time? All right, inclusive. The all inclusive podcast. <laughs> um, Norwich. Did you watch the game? Um, no, no, I was out. But um, yeah, I've <laughs> seen the highlights. Um, yeah, well. Uh, obviously, as an Ipswich fan, from my point of view, I was uh, thoroughly grateful to you chaps for actually turning up and uh, uh, and turning them over. I thoroughly uh, thoroughly enjoyed watching all those go in, but um, it, uh, it it certainly seemed a little bit out of character, and to get to get hammered like that for um, for, for a Norwich side under Alex Neil. Um, I mean, until till earlier this season, they hadn't lost an away game under him when it when he came in in the championship and they, they've generally done not too bad on the road they picked up five points in the last five away games which I think for any promoted side is it, it, fairly decent you'll take that um, and I think it's just one of those isn't it I mean they did look shambolic um, and you're probably going to get a few games like that um, as a promoted team you, you touched on the fact that, that, that they control possession and can quite hurt you with it um, and there will be games away from home when that will happen and they'll be put to the sword um, but I, I don't think it's a it's a massively indicative um, performance of them I'd say it caught me by surprise a bit the way they collapse because the way the manager is it, it, it doesn't seem like they're, they're, they're set up to, uh, to to crumble like that they generally have a bit more about them but obviously from from my uh, my strictly uh, Suffolk based point of view I was absolutely delighted to see you uh, to see your lads hit form uh, just at the right time Thanks for that uh, what, what I found both impre- well I'll go with the impressive stuff about Norwich and this is what you Touched on about formations, which is Norwich's four-two-three-one is how four-two-three-one is supposed to be played. <laughs> like 
the striker who scored, I thought was really impressive. I should know his name. Who but, was it? But I didn't, I've never seen that person before. Yeah, Mbakani, right? yeah. Really, he just he put himself about so much. He he was always looking to link up. He was he was a really positive player. And the three behind him were almost too attacking at times. The, obviously, Newcastle scored several goals in the counter attack, and it was just so weird, especially for an away team, to see Norwich's front front three almost getting ahead of the striker which is I, I don't want to use the word admirable because they got beat they conceded six but fair play for not <laughs> you know my point is on the on the other side and I wrote about this for the blog today me and Michael both got blogs on True Faith I forgot to do the notices I'll do them after this next part um, yeah that's it's all well and good Alex Neal came out you know coming up saying oh, I'm, an, I'm an attacking manager it's served me well so far Newcastle Watford came and I think Watford are going to get relegated this season they can't score goals but Watford came and basically played the perfect game plan against Newcastle at home on Newcastle <clears throat> sober after conference they came they sat behind the ball they broke at pace when Newcastle gave the ball away they pressed up until about two thirds of the way up the pitch so that Newcastle couldn't get out of their own half but they didn't overcommit. they got their goals and they sat deep Norwich seemingly came to think, right, we're going to beat, we're going to win this three or four nil. It was a very strange tactical setup, and Alex Neal said after the game, he made a mistake in taking Alex Teddy off because they were controlling the game, and he wanted to try and turn that domination, in his words, to uh, you know to, to goals or at least shots. I didn't. I just thought it was a strange one being one goal behind and on fifty-five minutes taken off a defensive midfield. They weren't getting beat three nil. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't do or die. Keep yourself in the game for as long as as long as possible. So just maybe a bit of naivety from him. I, this is a guy. Though, that our fourth goal came massively against the winner play at the start of the second half. And that's that's fine and that's normal. But I think I think if you look at Newcastle's goals in the first half, they realised the counter attack was very much on against this team, mm-hmm. and it was always going to happen. And I know Rob Elliott's in goal, so anything can happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> the bloke who literally has roots, he's so slow. Lit- oh, it was all right. Oh, I thought he was, he was poor. All right. I thought he was poor. I thought. His distribution was all right. I'll give him that, like better than Crow. Yeah, but I mean, you know that you know that transfer. Jan Mars yanked the bloke, and he didn't score. Rob Elliott should have been catching that, yeah, and he's he's right. stumbling across the, the the goal line. Like <laughs> Christ, talk about slow. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think I think it's, it was made. It was Newcastle's fourth goal was against the run of play, but it wasn't like Norwich were absolutely battering. They just had a lot of the ball because they had an extra man midfield, and Ita came on. But yeah, Norwich, I, I think. I just worry about them a little bit because they've had a reasonably comfortable fixture list. They beat they've beaten Bournemouth and they beat the Markhams away first second day of the season, comfortable win there, three one. Um I can't really see where the points are coming from. Beaten by Leicester in the last home game. Again, Alex Neal saying that they were naive. Well, yeah, that's fine, but it's you know, you're gonna have to learn quick because you you're using the same kind of terminology again yesterday. Well you you know, you've got to stop being naive soon. Um I think that'll just about do it for, for Newcastle. Just quickly on, on Newcastle, um, Teo's reintroduction shocked me um, because we haven't seen anything of him for like 10 months. Longer. I he thought, looked like, a, he I looked like an absolute headless chicken. I thought like he just looked like he just he just looked like a bit of a wasted shirt on the pitch that first half and I was very relieved to see him get uh, subbed at half time. I totally agree. I think basically what I was going to say was he's kind of transformed himself into what we joke about him being. Like he's forgotten to play how to play football. <laughs> he just looked like he, he literally didn't know what to do or where to be. Or what, like he just looks horrific. 
It looks absolutely horrific. I think it's a crying shame. If Tio A wanted to be and put the effort in, was like was trying his best in training, etc., etc., he could be the exact exact midfielder that this team needs. And I don't think he cares enough to to want to want to do it. He's had no new contract. We signed him in two thousand ten on a six year deal, and he's on the for three and a half million quid. He's on the same wages. So he's so pro- I'm not. I'm not saying he can be useless. I'm just trying to figure out why he's fallen from grace so much, and he's they've probably, by all accounts, been touting him all over the shop the past two or three years to get some money from. He's going at the end of the season. He's just not asked. It's very poor, but I I think you lads are a little bit harsh on him. I thought. Obviously, picking up a boogan after five minutes wasn't ideal. He got on the ball a bit. He he made some, he made he a couple of decent passes ball. over to the to the right hand side for attacks and stuff like that. But um, we must we must move on. We're going to do a special part of the show next, just on Musa Sissoko, which I'm looking forward to a lot. You probably notice we haven't talked much about the derby. Uh, that is because we're doing a special podcast tomorrow. Me, Mick Martin. Uh, and the lads from A Love Supreme in Sunderland are meeting at Northern Threads clothes shop in South Shields. Are you doing it at a clothes shop? Yeah, Northern Threads, true face sponsor. Oh, right. Some very trendy clothes, maybe I'm sure you'd be interested. Uh, I'm not trendy at all. <laughs> um, yeah, we're doing it there tomorrow, 6 o'clock, so hopefully I'll have the show up tomorrow night. We're going to discuss the derby in full from both points of view. There's also a couple of journalists coming along to chair the thing uh, and keep order. Um, I'm sure it'll be fine, so yeah. Listening to that, we've also got a couple of cracking podcasts up for you at the moment on iTunes and SoundCloud. Last week, I spoke to Tony Higgins, um, author of a new. Well, he's he's actually been writing the Real Spain blog for True Faith for about three years, I think, uh, and that kind of inspired him to write about the non-league football scene in Spain. He writes about his local club. Uh, I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. It's. Uh, Cuidad de Mercia or something like that. That's where my brother lived. Did he? Mercia, Mercia yeah. yeah. Well, honestly, in his book, uh, Homage to Mercia, is out as an e-book now. It's only four ninety nine on Amazon, only a Kindle, and it's really, really good. I learned so much about non-league football in that part of the world, also about Spanish politics, Spanish history, how it affects and how it's ingrained in football culture in Spain, and I'd really recommend it. Tony's been a Newcastle fan uh, for years and years and years. He writes very well, and it's just a... The best thing about the book, I'd say, is that it's like it's not an exceptional season for this very small fan-owned club that he follows, but it, you get a real feel of the kind of the ups and downs at that low, low level of football. And he also is trying on his travels. He goes to the Basque Country, he goes to Bilbao. He talks about Real Madrid and Barcelona. And honestly, if you're any Castle fan or just a football fan, read this book. Absolutely brilliant. Um, and we, me, Mick Martin, did a podcast with him last week. So please have a listen. Uh, that is up now. Musa Sissoko, ladies and gentlemen, uh, much loved by me and much hated by practically, well, a lot of other people. Before we go to Mickey first, then Richie, to tell us why they loathe him so much, and I think it's fair to say they do, I put the word out on social media today. We are at TF Weekly Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter. I'd be very grateful. Uh, We like to engage with uh, people who listen. so I'm just going to get the tweets up now. Should I have had this prepared? <laughs> so today when I put the word out that uh, Richie and Mickey were going to be coming on, um, basically talking about uh, Sissoko, uh, I got a, a variety of responses. Uh, Alex Wilson said, you've just got to hope more than anything that he performs like that next week. Obviously, that's a comment on his lack of consistency. Mark underscore Blades, 
very, very anti-Sissoko. After a great contribution going forward, he lets his man go and they score top club for, uh, top four club my arse. Um, he's not in top four league. He doesn't put a shift in every week, twice a season. Uh, Johnny at uh, Jonan G says that uh, we should play like that every game, but you'll go missing for half a dozen games now. Um, Mark Ashira getting assists mean little if he's at fault for conceding at the other end. He's his own, work enemy, own worst enemy. Um, Mark Blades again saying that performance was one performance last 18 months. Uh, let's not forget Norwich is bad as us. He'd rather have Redmond than Sissoko, not sure about that. And also a hard. Yeah, that was it on Facebook. There was loads of debate. That's a True Faith Facebook page. Much improved True Faith Facebook page, I should say, from the past few months. Um, and basically, again, Andrew Emerson was saying, because I said that, Mickey, you were saying to us on WhatsApp last night, you dropped a circle for Sunderland, which I'm going to quiz you about. Andrew Emerson said, you're only as good as your last game. How can you drop him? I think that's fair enough. And, I mean, I was saying that, you know, uh, McLaren's comments after the game saying he wants to be a Champions League player, he will be the performance like that. A bit, bit strange, but if it works, you know, if that gets the best out of Sissoko saying, we will give you a move if you play well, uh, well, that was quite interesting. And Carlos Bell saying the alternatives are basically Tovan over time, moving Perez, you know, you're not going to drop him for that. Um, Lee Spur said that maybe the criticism from the Castle fans recently has sprung him into life. Very hard to drop him after three slash four assists. Uh, Andy Roberts wasn't happy, was at fault for the first goal, didn't cover himself in the glory for the second, did better defensively in the second half, which I think is important. Uh, important. You can't have him switching off like that next week because it'll cost with the game, possibly a fair point. Uh, Marty Wilcox said you don't change a winning team, especially when it's Newcastle, fair enough. Um, Rob Smith is, the worst thing is you can put performances in like that, um, <laughs> but his RFF team is on the slide, forgot about that. Um, Stephen Ash, uh, four assists yesterday, the great game going forward, left Yamak very exposed in the back foot. I would play him though without a shadow of a doubt. Um, John Bowman saying, you know, it's been a long time coming in this performance, he needs to keep it up to win the hearts of Newcastle fans. Steve Scott, I'd play him in the derby, but would be a lot more physical in midfield, so it'd be interesting to see if he goes AWOL. I think that's a fair point, you lads are going to come on to. Um, and quite a few people saying, well, you know, I don't really want to play him, but who else are you going to play instead of him? Um, Jim Carlberg said, he's no guiltier than anyone else for Newcastle being shit. The uh, difference is he's actually got the ability, unlike Colbert and Anita. I think that's a bit harsh on Callback and I had a bit crack with Omar Mertzer about Callback saying, you know, seven seven assists, four goals in a shit team last season playing in front of the back four. But we, we've spoken about it plenty of times. And then finally, uh, Stephen Blackburn said, too inconsistent for me, far too weak in the tackle, but you, you can't drop him against Sunderland. There's no one better to come in. And Alistair Davis had a few points to make. Um, Sissoko, a bit like Ben Arthur, we shouldn't expect too much of the track back and create a formation that allows for that. If he attacks like he did yesterday on a regular basis, he's worth it. I'm not convinced he will keep up that consistency, but unless we sell him for a good profit, he starts every game. Thoughts, Mickey? And thanks to everybody who contributed, <clears throat> I really appreciate it. Well, like, to get started on him, attacking-wise, obviously, yesterday, he was excellent. You can't, you can't fault his attacking performance yesterday. Forces from midfield is, is brilliant. <clears throat> and in reality, regardless of everything that I'm about to say about him, our squad at the moment is not good enough that we can drop Sissoka for the derby. <laughs> so, I, I, in all honesty, I, I would play him. I'd play the same team. You just had a couple of drinks yesterday. But, my thoughts, my opinion on Sissoka, I think, is perfectly valid. 
his lack of effort is an absolute disgrace. It's so much worse with him because he, he has the ability to be that good if he wanted to, to try his best every week. He'd be one of the best players in the league. If he played like he did yesterday or like he does every year against Chelsea, every game of the season or more games than not, people would be talking about him around the world. And instead, we'll witness nine or ten games in a row where Sissoko doesn't give a shit what happens on the pitch, not asked about like protecting any of his other players, doing anything positive. Then he comes around and puts in a performance like he did attacking-wise yesterday. And it's just, I think it's unforgivable. It's, it's a crime for someone with, with such like with such natural ability. He's, he's, he's massive, he's fast, he's strong, he's got the technical ability to beat a man. All of that together, having that, that whole package and not applying it as hard as you can every game is just unforgivable. I, I, I genuinely think he's a disgrace. No Newcastle player over the last 10 years has made me feel yeah. like Sissoko does. Because of exactly that, he could be, he could be the, the whole thing. He could be captain of the club. He could he could go down in history if he stayed. He probably he probably wouldn't if he was that good. But he could be right up there with the best players in the league. And instead, he's got the majority of Newcastle fans after setting up four goals on Sunday saying that he probably shouldn't be in the team at the weekend. It's just, <clears throat> I, I just hate him. I hate him. I hate his attitude towards football. I was talking yesterday about it. And the first goal, he just hasn't tried. He hasn't defended. He's just not bothered to run. He's standing there with his hands on his hips, looking as if he's done nothing wrong. If he's not asked about Newcastle, by all accounts, he was desperate for a move in the summer. If he's not bothered about the, the club or the fans, like, well, first of all, you can get fucked if that's his attitude. But even even if that's true, he shouldn't want to hang Yamad out to dry. That's his mate. He's got to go to work with him every single day. And he's just let somebody score. But just because he couldn't be asked to run 10 yards, it's not fucking acceptable. It's not. There's no argument against it. The thing is, if he if he puts in a performance like he did yesterday against Man United at home, those four assists might not be four assists. We might only score one of them. But he still, he still played a massive part in two of their goals. We lose 2-1. Against a good team... His attacking performance would have been nullified slightly, and if, if he'd put that in against against the Man United, a Man City, a Chelsea, even even some of the worst teams, Tottenham, Liverpool, Everton, if he'd done that yesterday, we would have lost two one, and it would have been Sissoko's fault, and people would be fucking kicking off. I, d- I disagree with a lot of that, but I'll come on to it. But thanks for making your point; you made it very well, uh, Richie. I know I'm here, keen to hear you echo Mickey's thoughts, but also I know you're not as sold on his ability as most are. Has 
you know, has, has a bad game. I, I made the point earlier, yesterday he bothered his arse to get the ball and run with it. And when he does that, he causes other teams problems. He, he, he gets into positions where he can, he, can, he can make assists, he gets into goal scoring positions, he's a ball carrier. He's basically the player that when we signed him, everyone thought, yes, this is the player that we need. Someone who can take the ball from our own half and carry it. And he's got that much pace and strength that he'll he, he, he'll he can he can he can cause issues. Yet he did it yesterday, but that was the first time he did it in bloody weeks. And you're just like, what you know? What does it take to get you to do? It's not it's not about having a bad game. It's not about even being nullified. It's about actually bothering your ass to do it. And um, and it, it almost kind of frustrates you more when you see that he, he bothered his ass yesterday. It, it almost pisses you off even more because you're like. Like it, it is, it is absolutely a case of like yesterday. You just, you just, you just fancied it a bit more than than other weeks. Um, I mean, as far as next, as far as the weekend goes, again, I, I, I've got to agree with the point made that can we afford to drop Soto after that performance? Have we got anyone in of that ilk ready to come in and, and take his place? No, we haven't. But has Mr. Soto bottled the last five derbies that we've played in? And like literally crawled under a shell within five minutes of kickoff. Yes, he has. And I just think, can you trust in a player? Can you trust in a player to again? If he's done it in five derbies, can you trust him to, to to not do it this this weekend? I don't know. Uh, it's, he's 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 extremely frustrating. To answer answer your second uh, point, Alex, about just you know a uh, question his ability. I think you know some of the points that you guys have made about him, you know, being. The best player in our in our squad in this day. I, I do disagree with that to the extent that I think that there are players in our team, the likes of Perez uh, and, and Wijnaldum, who just got so much more ability than Sissoko. Sissoko, his game is largely based on his is largely based on his pace and power. Yes, which we saw he put in some great balls yesterday, but I don't think that is a. I, I, I don't, without his pace and power, I, I just think he'd be a bit of a like a bit of a nothing player really. But. But that is, you know, so you can't, you can't kind of take that away from his pace and power is what makes him. It's what made him yesterday. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, he's just a, he's just a, such a frustrating player, and I just think it's, it's frustrating in the sense that he, it's, it's an attitude problem. It's not an ability problem. It's not sometimes having a, an off week. It's just the fact that he just literally more weeks than, uh, the, more weeks than. than Another, he, he, he just he just doesn't fancy it. He thinks he's he thinks he's better than what he is, and and, and he thinks that his his reputation that he's got will 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 kind of disguise the uh, the, the kind of the, the non performances that he actually puts in. And that's exactly it, Richie. That's exactly it. The problem's not with, not with his ability whatsoever. And like Newcastle fans aren't the kind of people that kick off with people for being shit. Mm-hmm. As long as they're putting the effort in. But with Sissoko, more more so than anyone else I can remember, it's such a brazen lack of effort. Most of the time, that's the reason that people don't like him. Right, a lot to go through there. A couple of just minor points. You know, when you said he bottled five derbies and he was useless, well, the derby we lost 1 0 last season at home under Pardew. I thought he was our best player that day. He had two absolutely clash shots from outside the box. He also continued to play on while injured, which was Pardew decided to keep him on. He was such a threat. He was. I think it was John O'Shea or Lee Clattermore in about the 75th minute. Absolutely. It was a really bad tackle and now it happened. Um, and he was limping and he played on. You know, he, didn't, he could have gone down. A lesser player might have just, fuck this, I'm off. 
he played on through injury. Probably not advisable. I think he was out of the next game actually at Old Trafford. He was injured. Wasn't fit enough to play. Alex, just to, just to come in there to say it's all right. Uh, the, the, the issue I've got right is against Sunderland, against the likes of Lee Catamull, Seb Lawson, right, Liam Bridcut, right. They they shouldn't be getting the Sosa should literally be if he played like he did yesterday against them lot. They shouldn't even like come near him. You know that they're they the utter dog shit compared to Sosa when he's in that form. That they cannot match him. This it's is like, yeah, he might be our best player, but it's like actually Sosa. You know what, right? If you actually if you actually really do fancy it, you absolutely run the show and you will destroy that midfield. But again, Will he though? does he actually does he does he does he give you that full does he give you that full application? Well, that's the, that's my point. I'm going to come into it. I just that was a very minor thing. Then he don't get us wrong. He was absolutely terrible in all of the other derbies, as was everyone else. Um, I, yeah. I just want to make a couple of points. I'll try and talk through them if, if that's all right with you. Um, he cost two million quid or one point five million quid. So Musa Sissoko, as I made, I've made coming it, at the end of his contract though. Yeah, is he? I think he's he, he signed. He was when he was signed. Him. Oh yeah, yeah, I know. I know that. But just look at it in terms of value for money for Newcastle, and it's the same for Gufran. And I've made this point. I've done a three thousand word cheers, Michael, um, for word article for True Faith for the new edition, which is actually going to be free. Um, end of this month, I think, or start of next month. So if anyone's listening, free. Yeah, about three thousand words. Yeah, I'm gonna do the through black and white eyes diary as well. So uh, he's had us up late this month. Um, but I've, I, and I did a, a research, I've done a research piece into Graham Carr, um, really, really interesting. Not not my article, I'm sure it's very average, but uh, the research I did into Graham Carr was shocking. Shocking. Like, you've got to read the article, it's it's wor- it's really worrying. Um, I'll give you a, a sneak peek now, but did you know that Graham Carr was chief scout at Man City for seven years? I did, it was part of my uh, one of my games. Chief Scott at Man City for seven years. Did you know Man City became the first Premier League club to make a profit on player sales three years in a row under Graham Carr? And you just that—that's what got a Newcastle job. But anyway, you read more about that in the article, and I'll—I'll I'll look through some of his signings. And he just had an absolute fucking nightmare. Anyway, Newcastle signed him and, and Gufran for what, two point five million pound between them. I think between them, they scored about twenty Premier League goals. Value for money. So. There's there's a couple of ways to approach this Sissoko debate, and you use you, you approach it that Musa Sissoko can be fucking mint, and I approach it that he's sometimes fucking mint, and he's just one player on the team, and I don't buy that he's as good as everyone says says he is. I think he's a really good player, and I think he's I still think he's Newcastle's best player. I think Perez and Wijnaldum are going to give him a bit of competition and Mitrovic, and that's good. But certainly last season. Musa Sissoko was Newcastle's best player and he vastly underperformed for most of the season. But he cost two million quid and he's not the captain. He's never been a captain contender. I don't think he can run games from midfield. I think his size is often a um, red herring. I don't think he has the physical uh, presence that a lot of people feel like he does. I think that very first or second game as a Newcastle player, when he beasted Ashley Cole, Ashley Cole, who, by the way... I think that was his last season at Chelsea or we had one more season well on the way down as a left back I think he has a lot of really good attributes I think his pace Richie you've you've kind of said something there that, you know earlier in the show about he's realised he's got pace well actually what he had uh, yesterday wasn't pace it was space most clubs and this is another dig at Alex Neil and Norwich 
Most clubs overload Newcastle's right-hand side because they know that's where the threat is from Jan Martin Sissoko. Norwich seemed to totally ignore that yesterday, so cheers, lads. You're fucking idiots. But Sissoko found himself with all sorts of space. And yes, in the first half, actually, he was getting a lot of abuse for a couple of tra- a couple of tackles, which he really, I wouldn't say bottled, but there was, a, there was a couple of 50-50s in the air where he could have jumped in headfirst and caused himself serious injury. And I'm not sticking up for him totally because obviously his application was actually poor in, in two instances, instances I can think of. However, he's probably thinking, what's the point? I hold my head in there, I pick, an in, I pick up an injury, I go off. But, you know, there's, there's two sides to the story. I'm not saying bottling it. That's not acceptable. Is the answer. That's not acceptable at all. But, but let us finish. I did let you and Richie talk without <laughs> interruption. Um He's he's, he's he's actually bottled let's, let's call it a bottle he's bottled, bottled those challenges and he's made four assists now you're saying he's made four assists but he's let two goals you know basically well, they weren't just his fault the goals but it was very poor especially I think it was the was it the first one yeah it was the first one where he's just like he's just left the man um, I think he struggles a lot with fitness and I don't think it's a question of him being a bad professional these explosive bursts that he seems to make uh, he's always nagged afterwards. You can see him hands on hits, and, and he kind of—I think he gets a lot of really unfair criticism for for people expecting me better than he is. He's an inconsistent player who hits the heights every four or five games. I don't think he'll ever be better than that. He could go and play for his hometown club. He could play for Arsenal. He'll never play for Arsenal. Not good enough. He's just not as good as a he thinks he is, but and he's not as good as a lot of Newcastle fans think he is. So when he when he has games like yesterday, and by the way, he was fucking brilliant. I don't care about the goals were conceded. They were, they were badly defended goals. Jan Matra had done better. The first one's to Soko, hang your head in shame. The best thing about yesterday is that for the rest for the rest of the game, particularly after half-time, he defended superbly. He did, yeah. And one of the goals, in fact, which again he assisted Mitrovic's goal, came from his defensive work at the back of the pitch. So I just my glass is always kind of half full with him rather than half empty. That said, if he, play, if he plays like he did last season at Sunderland, then, then I've got no time again. I'll, I'll be honest, back. But I, I, it goes back to the 2013 game when we lost two um, one when Barini scored that goal, that uh, goal which shouldn't have been allowed because someone got a free kick when they actually fouled our player, um, but and, and was taken when the ball was moving. Um, that game, Pardew played in right wing, left wing, hold in midfield and off the striker. And I just. I like to think now in this four four two formation, and he, you know, he, he's the kind of player who who has bad games and still contributes. Like he was poor against Watford, he still set up Yarmouth's goal. He was poor against Man City, he still set up a goal that was wrongly disallowed. And he's that kind of player. We need players in the team that when the whole team is playing badly, when he's playing badly, he's still still able to produce moments of quality. When Vernon Anita plays badly, <laughs> it's Man City away last season after thirty seconds. <laughs> When he gives away a pen, do you know what I mean? And he's he's a good player for Newcastle. He's not my favourite player, and he's not he's he's not capable. I disagree with both of you. He's not capable of running every game from the field. He's not capable of physically dominating other players because he's just not that good. When he is good, he's excellent. He's just an inconsistent player who I enjoy it when he plays well. If Newcastle United, if that's not good enough for Newcastle, Newcastle fans, then buy someone better. But we're not but we're not going to do that because it's Newcastle, and I'm just I'm kind of sick of them moaning about Tissoko and. Yesterday, at whatever it was, quarter past six, I was fucking delighted with life. I was buzzing. Newcastle just saw, scored six goals. I was watching Sky. I watched match of the day two for the first time about six years. I recorded the match and the, the football special on Sky Sky Sports 1. I watched it when I got in from work today. And that was because I missed this circle. And yes, he's frustrating. And yes, he's a bit of a bell end. 
but he's no he's no worse than half you know the rest of them. Yes, he bottled four derbies, but he was no worse than fucking I don't know Mike Williamson was that day. He was no worse than Papi Cisse was that day. He's 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 one of Newcastle's best players, and I just think everyone needs to chill out and, and take the good times when they come. If he, I think. Mark Douglas again uh, made a really good point before the game this week saying the biggest problem with Musa Sissoko is that he's not being dropped. See, I would have no problem if Sissoko was dropped. If they dropped Sissoko after Chef Wed, even though again he had the best chance of the game and hit the post, if they'd have dropped him for the Man City game, I'd have been alright with it. I wouldn't have been taken off, but he doesn't get dropped. That's not his fault. Look, my problem is that if Musa Sissoko gets dropped, that it almost kind of worsens the, situa- worse the situation. He seems like the kind of player that. Because he thinks so highly of his own ability, you know, thinks he should be somewhere, you know, somewhere bigger and better than Newcastle. That you drop Mr. Soto, is he is he ever going to be able to like actually raise his game to like what he, you know, what he's what he's capable of? We don't know. Do I think I think it's hard to speculate on that because we just don't know because it hasn't happened. It's and it's easy to speculate, and I know I know what you're getting at, and I, and I, I can totally see where you're coming from, but. Like hopefully, I think the best point today was on that True Faith Facebook page, which I was going through before. I forgot who said it, but someone said maybe the criticism stung him into action. Maybe it hasn't. Maybe it'll be absolute dog shit next week. But there's no way that the reason I wanted to talk about Nicky was because of your suggestion last night that you can't play next week. Obviously, you're not actually saying that now, um, so I'll let you withdraw that one. We're going to have to move on because we've all had to say Mike is a neutral. Musa Sissoko, what do you think? Um, well, I think you, you both raise, raise valid points. I think the thing is, um, we have to accept some players aren't necessarily going to put the work in it. As much as that's, you know, you, you don't want to see that in a player in your team, you have to accept sometimes some players don't have that mentality to to, to, to put their head in where it hurts, to, 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 to track back all the time and, and do that part of the game. So I think there, there's a certain element of, of managing, managing them accordingly and playing and where you're going to get the most out of him because as you say he will create goals and score goals and that can win games so it's about putting him in the area of the pitch and managing him where he's going to prosper as much with, with his qualities going forward but at the same time going to do as little damage as possible um, going back and I think as you say for, for the money um, you, you paid for him that, that's the reality you're not going to get a complete player and it's also like you say I keep going back to the money and pe- I've had people on social media before saying, well, it doesn't matter. And, like, he was in the last six months of his contract. Well, if he was that good, someone better than fucking relegation threatening Newcastle at the time would have yeah. picked him up. And I, I just accept his limitations and he's, he's not that good. On his days, he's, he's, he can't be world class. But trust us, he could move to any club in the world and I still think he'll be as, in, is con, as inconsistent. And I'd rather have a player with ability who p- potentially you could question his work rate than a player who fucking worked hard all the time and was shit because otherwise he'd be in League 2 well, hang on a second because you've uh, what about your opinion on Ben Arthur That's, you've had the complete opposite opinion on him my opinion on Ben Arthur was more to do with his lack of professional outside of the games rather than in the games so me, me one that I'll always go back to and by the way it's great to see him being fucking mint he's still a bit porky he Funny, but he's obviously prospering, and it's nice. It's nice to see that just for football's sake, that a player that good is starting to do those things again. My issue with Benafa, I go back with Stoke away, two thousand and fourteen. Uh, Newcastle were on this winless run in the Pardew. It was a terrible, terrible day. Half the away and just gone there to abuse Pardew, which wasn't isn't why I travelled down from Newcastle and paid me money. Um, Benafa was on the bench the whole away and spent the whole game singing his name. He put in the shittest warm-up I've ever seen. I mean, he practically hardly moved on the touchline. 
compared to Paul Dummett, who was next to him, who was like putting a proper warm up. He came on for the last 15 minutes to like huge fanfare and he pulled a muscle straight away and would, and would made all three subs because he just hadn't warmed up properly. And it's like, yes, I wish I wish Ben Arthur played for Newcastle now. I wish that it wasn't Alan Pardew. And I don't blame Pardew for it particularly. But anyway, we'll have to move on. There's, there's the rest of the show to do. Uh, we've kept Mike waiting for, waiting for 50 minutes here. Um, also, Peter, we've missed out Dogger's challenge. Oh, yeah, I'm going to come on to it. We'll be back after this break. So it's uh, obviously a commemorative week, special podcast, because uh, Newcastle won a match. Got a couple of quiz questions for you, lads. The first one, first one to shout it out wins. Um, how many games did Alan Pardew's Newcastle beat a team by four goals in his four-year tenure at Newcastle? How many games did we beat a team by four goals? Three. Hey, Mickey's gone three. Richie's gone one. Mike. I'll go in the middle and I'll go two. Oh, I don't a, even remember one. What a prick. Um, yeah, one is correct. Do you know the game, Richie? Villa. Villa, yeah. Villa, Villa no. Villa, 6-0. No. 6-0 no was on the Chris Hooten. Was it? Yes, it was. Oh, By the way, the attendance for that game was 42,000. Alright. Just just like, you know, I'm thinking at the weekend there's only 47,000 there, but things have been worse. Um, that was a class day, Mickey. Me and you, level seven, standing together in the sunshine. Day. Beaten Vile 6 0. Well, and after the Mr. Penn as well, after like five minutes, John yeah. Carew. Absolutely class. It was actually Stoke City. Boxing Day 2013. Probably the highlight of Pardew's. That was it. It all went downhill after there for Pardew. Were, were fourth after that game, fourth in the league. Um, with a team consisting of Ben Arthur, Remy, Sogo, Kabai, uh, Colaccini, Tim Kroll at the peak. Uh, what's his name? Debushi, good team that. Um, Don't remember that game at all. What was nine, went down nine men. Stoke. Oh yeah, dude. Won five one. Yeah. Could have won fifteen. And were the funny thing about that one is what absolute dog shit <laughs> for the first like forty minutes until they went down. Remy missed a pen that day as well. He did. Eh? Um, but yeah, that's the only time under Adam Pardew would beat a team by four goals. Crazy that, isn't it? So yep. fair play, McLaren. Um, the other quiz. I may as well bang them all out now. The other question was, uh, one of the Dutchmen has scored four goals in a Premier League game. That is right. Who was it? One guess each. Mickey's right, wasted his. It's not Van Nistelrooy, Richie. Ah, I couldn't say. Uh, I'm going to say Van Nistelrooy. Okay, Mike. <laughs> while, while Richie furiously Googles it. Uh, Hasselbank. Jimmy Foy Hasselbank is correct, Mike. Well played. Yeah. Four goals. Very, very... Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. All right, of course you were. <laughs> Any special points here for the game? Um, you, you're not going to get it if you don't know it. <laughs> uh, Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea beat Coventry, not a million miles away. It was a C, 6-1 in 2000 at the bridge. Uh, yeah. Uh, and Vanessa never scored four. Never scored four. I'm quite surprised at that. And uh, Lance, Dogger's game, much loved, world-renowned by the people. Is here as well. Three games in a week. Eh? Look at you. Look, look at your listeners as people turn off in their numbers. Um, right, simple game. As most of you know who listen. Who am I? Former Newcastle United player. Here's a list of clues. I'm, I'm going to introduce a new rule this week because people in the past few weeks, I think, have been guessing, especially yours, when you did it, Mickey, they've been guessing. Do you know what I mean? They haven't been listening to the clues. So sometimes the clues can rule out players as well. So... I'm going to get through the first two clues before anyone can shout out. You only get one guess per round, okay? Clue number one. Who am I? 
I was born on the 5th of July 1983. I currently have 19 career goals in 487 league appearances. You can guess from now if you want. Alan Smith is incorrect. <laughs> Though Alan Smith did score 20 Premier League goals in a season, so I know he's had a barren few years, but he's probably got more than 19. <laughs> um, I won the Championship Player of the Month in March 2010. Colacini. Colacini is incorrect. I have 22 caps from my country, and I've scored one goal. Good one this week, I'm, I'm buzzing. Last clue. I was the only Newcastle United player to play the 2010 World Cup. Any guesses, lads? Gutierrez. Jonas Gutierrez is correct. Oh. Well played, Richie. Rescued at the last. I thought I would. Have, I thought I defeated you there. That's a good one. Huh? Good one. Yeah, put some effort in that one after a few. Thirty-five, Jonas. Is he? Yeah, I was getting on like. Yeah. Um, I just think 19 goals in nearly 500 games. <laughs> I, re- I think oh, he's one of my favourite Newcastle players. I've said this before, and it's a bit bad taste saying this, but the, obviously I'm really pleased that everyone was so supportive of him. But the revisionism of a lot of Newcastle fans on his ability was is start like quite something. He's one of the most reviled players ever, despite being one, in my opinion, one of our most ever consistent performers. I think he was excellent. For the majority of his Newcastle career, he fought some fantastic partnerships. He basically got Jose Enrique and moved to Liverpool yeah. by playing with him. You know, I think he's a he was a really really good player for Newcastle, and obviously twenty two caps for Argentina's uh, something as well. First name on the team sheet apparently, the second behind Messi. Behind Messi, according to Maradona, who knows how many drugs he anyway. <laughs> um, Mike, the Premier League happened this weekend. Would you like to take us through it? Yeah, well, I thought I'd start with a little treat for you, Dodgy, because I know you've been uh, peddling this narrative about Man United for, for months, if not if, if not years, and finally LVG seems to be listening to you. Um, if they beat Man City next week, apparently they are going to be title challengers. Um, but uh, all jokes aside, I think it, it, was a, it was a good win away at Everton. I think there were quite a few questions um, around Man United, rightly raised after, after they got tore apart and, and found out against Arsenal. Um, but but they seem to adapt and, and, and change a bit against Everton. I was, I was thinking they'd be up against it against a, a pretty informed Everton team. But but they went with a bit more pace. Started with Herrera, started quickly, two 0 up within twenty five minutes. Um, it, it very much changed that 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 slow methodical start to games that, 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 that's become their their trademark really over the last year or so. Um, so I think it's a strong performance. Whether or not they'll be title challengers, I have severe doubts. I know you've probably got a, a list of stats as long as you're armed to, to, to reel off um, when I finish speaking. But I think it was a it was a it was a step in the right direction from you. I does say that, that they changed a few things up. I think Herrera um, is massively important for them as in, in changing the pace in their midfield. But um, I still think they'll get no better than third. But Obviously, it's a big week coming up. They got CSK Moscow away in the Champions League uh, in Man City on Sunday. Um, that will tell us a lot about their credentials for the rest of the year. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought uh, I'll, I'll put that to you. Title challenges, Dodzy, if they beat Man City next week. Well, first of all, Mike, fair enough. It was a good win for for Man United. Tricky game, Everton. Good start of the season and, and coming away with a three 0 very comfortable win. As I think Everton had one chance really. It's pretty commendable, so fair play to them. My biggest issue with everything you said is title challenges if they beat Man City, he's only spent £400 million. 
As if, as if it should be down to that. It should be title trials. Anyway, that's my biggest problem is, like, Man United are allowed to be rubbish. I don't particularly care. I think it's funny. Especially when, when, when big teams lose. That's why Arsenal enjoy, enjoy Arsenal a lot. Because for all the three no wins at Watford, you know there's an Olympiagos in the locker somewhere. And, like, what... I just can't understand how Moyes got so much shit for being terrible in a season when pretty much like all of the, the top teams were, were on point that season. Liverpool were class. Chelsea were decent under Mourinho but finished third. Man City were excellent. Arsenal were obviously Arsenal. So realistically, it was the perfect chance to allow Moyes to build something. He reached the second round or the quarters, I forget which. I think it was the quarters of the Champions League. They certainly yeah. didn't disgrace themselves against Bayern Munich. Yes, they had a lot of mares, but they also, realistically, the, the, their only problem was the home form. They had the best away record in the league when they sacked Moyes. And I'm, I'm always comparing Van Hal's record to Moyes, which is unfair, perhaps on Van Hal, because it's not his fault that, that I'm, con- I'm sure he doesn't care. But um, that, that, that I'm convinced. But I just see them spending all the, this money on all these players, and I just and they're largely terrible. Yes, they were good at the weekend. They're largely very poor. They play very poor, dour football. You know, and it just seems like what's the objective for Manchester United? And there's always managers. I mean, look at McLaren last week saying you'd have a party for reach forty points, to saying the objective was top eight. That's going to piss quite a lot of people off. And it's the same with Van Hal saying that last season third was the objective. Uh-huh. It was the minimum aim. Then they got fourth, and he said it would be. It was a mere miracle that they got fourth. He'd done wonders, and it's just like, for, like I've, I've said it all before. People who listen to the show are probably sick of us saying it. <laughs> Manchester United think they're one of the biggest clubs in the world. Am I correct in saying they have the world's highest turnover? I think they do, um, ahead of yeah, Barcelona and Real Madrid. They're certainly between the three of them. And, yeah, in the top two with Real Madrid, I think is that. And, Louis van Gaal's not going to be there for 10 years so, and I think Moyes could have been there for 10 years and he's kind of a bit of a, a mayor with Sociedad at the moment I think the Sociedad fans are a bit harsh because I think, I think they've had a pretty tough run of games Sociedad at the start of the season and I'm, I'm certainly not biggest you know, I've never been a particular fan of Moyes if only to wind up Mickey who hates him but I, I, just, I just can't yeah, by the way there's, there's rumours that he might go to Villa Vile, that would just be too much but my point is with Man United is it's like what is what is the aim? They act like a big club with the money they throw about, with the wages they spend. But there seem to be this acceptance of the cult of Van Gaal, where what he says goes. Earlier this season, before results picked up a little bit, I think especially after the Swansea games, there was the first murmurs of discontent from Man United fans who were just like, well, at least when we've been shit so far, we've picked up wins. And I think they've struggled a little bit. But... You know, if they beat Man City, fair enough. I mean, Man City are without Aguero and Silva, so obviously that's a massive advantage for Manchester United. But I just I can't see where Man United are going with Van Gaal. What what is the aim with them? Because surely in in the second season, surely he's expected to at least challenge for the league. Listen, Man United comes second this season and run Chelsea, well not Chelsea, Arsenal, Man City really really close. I'll be like, fair enough. He's that that's his job. It's the acceptance. That third or fourth place and not even getting close is going to be okay for a four hundred million pound transfer spend. That's my issue. All, all, all I would say is that there, there is probably quite a big reason. That you used to talk about the cult of Van Halen. I would imagine quite a big reason why they got him in um, instead of Moyes. But was that that sort of character, regardless of necessarily what what can go on a pitch? He's a you see a Van Halen character as being more able to to handle that and put a. Put you know get the media to put put that positive spin on it than than if Moyes was struggling and, and you get a very different sort of coverage. I think he's he seems to be a character that that journalists won't necessarily question as much and he, he can shut them down um, quite easily. Rightly or wrongly, 
Um, and I think probably that, that cult of his personality um, is it, it, probably quite a big reason why they got him in because I don't think they felt they got that with Moyes and, 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 and they felt he was, it was a bit of a, it wasn't that, that huge personality which you, you really need to, to take on that club, especially in, in the wake of Ferguson. Fair enough. Uh, I know you would like to talk about the pretenders to the European slash top four crown who are up there at the moment. Well, well, yeah, I, I, I don't personally think they are, but um, but but just look from a from a purely sustainable point of view, the likes of Leicester, West Ham, Palace, and they're only nine games in, but uh, they're up there in the top eight at the moment. Um, and, and just really wanted to, to get your your boys' impressions on them because I, I think if you if you look at them, the, the likes of West Ham and Palace in particular, home form um, yeah. I think is what any any decent season needs to be built on. Uh, and it's poor West Ham are seventeenth in in the in the in the home form table um, so far this season. And I wonder how sustainable it can be um, just pulling out these wins away from home. Um, on such a regular basis, we saw it last season. <laughs> that is probably the worst thing that could ever happen for a West Ham, Ham team. Get a good start of the season, and and then then you're a bit knackered because realistically you don't want to get into Europa League because that will absolutely screw you the next season, and uh, and, and you, you can't go down because you've had such a good start. So it might be the worst thing that could happen for West Ham. They could end up just finishing tenth to eleventh again and having an awful second half of the season. Um, but uh, I, I think. In general, the, the the strong away form um, for for these teams that has certainly got Palace to, uh, and to, to a greater extent West Ham up there. Um, it, it's going to be a lot harder to sustain than, than having that solid base at home. Um, and I, I, I don't think we'll see them make a sustained push up there. I think the likes of a Swansea or or, a, or even a Stoke starting to find their form again will. We'll, we'll, Super see them, um, but uh, yeah, I want to see if, uh, if if you lads have seen anything, anything else. Because I think the likes of Leicester as well, um, it, you know, I, I can't see them sustaining it if they get a couple of injuries to, to, to those key players that, are, that have kept them going since that unbelievable run of form last season. Yeah, I agree with you, Mike. Um, as you say, these teams are going to keep winning, winning game after game away from home. It's just not not going to happen. Leicester for me are the one that look the most exciting because they've built quite a young, fast team, which is 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 it's exciting to see. It's not not that common anymore. Palace are just about on the cusp of Pardew turning them absolutely <laughs> terrible, so they'll drop down the league soon. West Ham, to be honest, I don't know that much about West Ham really. Paye looks a great player, but they're only an injury to him away from tumbling down the league, I think. We've talked about Bilic a few Darko, times. Darko Carroll coming back to a place potentially. But he's, he's not the same player though, is he? Well, time will tell. I think keeping, keeping fit is the key. Yeah. Um, and we, we've talked about Bilic a bit on this podcast and how we, it's a bit of a gag appointment. It's gone away so far, but as you say, Mike, realistically, none of those teams are going to be in the top eight coming the end of the season. It's going to be Swansea, Liverpool. Swansea beating the Knights. No wins in five, tumbling down the league. I'm still, it's really good to see because Gary Monk is an arrogant prick. He is. <laughs> I agree. A lot of people think that Gary Monk's the best thing since sliced bread, but I just think he got put up above his station with a good group of players. Yeah. And um, if, you, if you look at the likes of IU, who has another sting at the night, it's coming out, isn't it? Everything's always too good to be true. Like Sissoko was too good to be true at two million. IU on a free, too good to be true. Not yeah. they've got quality, these players, but they're not. People are saying, oh, IU could go for it to Chelsea or something like that, no chance. I agree with most of what Mickey says there, but Mike, it's a couple of things. Um, 
what what will be interesting is especially you know you talk about the waveform it'll get harder and harder in the season uh, to play like these teams play away from home which is total counter-attacking yeah. football when just say West Ham maintain their away form which obviously that West Ham's away results now I wrote about West Ham and Leicester my 3 up 3 down blog on the True Faith website today both saying Billic and Ranieri are living the dream I mean West Ham wins at Man City Arsenal Liverpool <laughs> Jesus Christ um, but the problem is when West Ham go to I don't know let me pick a, a, a random team uh, let's, let's say Newcastle West Ham go to Newcastle uh, in February still hanging around that top four it'll not be okay to get 11 men behind the ball and break because they'll be expected to get something from the game and that's the problem we'll have when it's actually same with Palace when they can go to these places and they're expected to win or they need to win to maintain something so far it's basically anything's a bonus West Ham going to all those places and winning and even Palace it, anything they got was a bonus what impresses me about Leicester is they just create so much I think this season they've created more chances apart from Man City than any other team in the league they've had more they've had the second they've scored the second most amount of goals apart from uh, Man City I think I mean and again Southampton had 27 shots on goal Southampton had 11 which is a reasonable amount of shots to have in a game 27 shots and it was the same when they were shit under Pearson for most of last season they were, they were just creating so many chances and all they had to do was start and put, putting some of those chances away they still can't defend they've conceded quite a lot of goals I think they've conceded as many goals as Newcastle nearly that could be bullshit but I was looking at the, the table today and I was t- I think the goal difference is only plus 3 or something Um <laughs> But Le- Leicester are the ones who, because they just create chances. Oh, and who was the class lad for Leicester? The PC winger is it Mares? When, when you can have Mares with the acclaim he's had starting on the bench for you, it's a fair bit of squad depth. You know, they're when, just a couple of centre halves away from being an actually good side, aren't they? A couple of top quality centre halves. Could be interesting in January for Leicester if yeah. Leicester had some real quality. They could really make a sustainable go. And listen, it's I've nothing against Leicester. I mean, it was a bit pathetic last season with that part Joel Banners when we're. They came up here and got turned over, but you know it'd be nice to see someone have a have a go. We must move on though, and I know you'd like to talk about Vile and Sherwood. It's the life. Yeah, I, I think well, I think it's wider than, than uh, tactics, Tim, as he as he's become known. I think if you look at if you look at Villa over the last few years and, and how it's been run as a club, it doesn't make an awful lot of sense. Look at Randy Lerner, obviously, fair few years ago now under under Martin O'Neill took it took the big gamble and. and made a real big push for Champions League football invested a hell of a lot of money um, didn't make the grade and when he realised that you know that it was quite unattainable really just despite how much money he'd spent seems like he sacked it off and knocked it on the head now <laughs> last couple of years for whatever you think of Paul Lambert he'd been he'd done a good job at Norwich um, he, you know he's a, he's a more level headed experienced um, guy in the game and they gave him yeah, no money whatsoever um, to spend there, scratching around year upon year to, to basically keep them up. And now they've got Sherwood in, who very, you know, lives off his own, off, off, off the reputation he gives himself, really. Mm. Uh, and they seem to have given him a fair amount of money to, to spend on players. He brought in a lot of young or unproven players. Um, seems a very bitty kind of recruitment policy where he sees an exciting, pacey player and he thinks, I'll get him in, he'll, he'll get players get fans off their seat and you, you, you struggle to see where the, the core of that team is that will, that will pull those young players together um, and, I, and I just think it's poor from, from the top from, from, from Randy Lerner who clearly wants to, to sack it off and, and get out while he can um, but I think it goes a lot further beyond just the managers they've got in recently Villa. I think you've got to question 
who they've given the money and 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 why there, there doesn't seem to be an awful lot of strategy there. Um, and 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 I think that all their their, their chickens could come come home to roost this this season, and they're, they're probably due a relegation after the last couple of years dodging a bullet. Hope so, Mickey. Yeah, be the best thing that could happen this season. They're just they're just a bit of a They're the worst team in the world. There's not much more to say. I'm delighted that Sherwood's struggling as well because I think he's an arsehole. He's an arrogant, he's a horrible bloke. He, he doesn't really know how to manage a football team and he's proven it. But he hasn't got a lot to work with because the players are all shit. <laughs> but, yeah, everyone knows how much we hate Villa. December the 19th, last Saturday before Christmas, Villa playing Newcastle at home, 5.30 kick-off. <laughs> Uh, also happens to be my birthday also Mickey's birthday so let's hope to ram some nails into that vile coffin uh, but yeah I agree with everything that you've both said there's not much more to add apart from the fact that the snaked the massively snaked to win at Bournemouth on the opening day which is three of their four points their other points came against the the terrible Magnums and the Avocat <laughs> They're re- they've had a really kind fixture list they've, they've played Man United they've played um, whoever they played at the weekend there uh, Chelsea away which is quite difficult but apart from that they've not faced anyone of any real quality um, and it's just yeah like you say with a really comfortable fixer list there's just no way they can stay up which will be great and Mike finally we should go if they get relegated oh we should, we should absolutely go <laughs> even if we're relegated it's, we should we should go I mean it'd just be so good and I would have so many banners something in the pipeline for the future Mike Jurgen Klopp and the Klopp Hysteria yeah, last but not least, I mean, I, I think first of all, I, I'm delighted he's come. I think he, yeah, he's a fantastic manager and, and great to have in the game. But I've, uh, I've I've written about it slightly in um, in in a blog post for the, for the True Faith website this week. Actually, it'll be going out um, on the press conferences, and it it just it just worries me. It's just so tiresome already. Uh, Everything he does now is is a news piece. The BBC, in, in their infinite wisdom, decided to write a whole article on him just going out for a beer and a meal in Liverpool lest we forget the city that he has is actually moved to he, he went out for a beer and he's, uh, he's the saviour of, of the entire city uh, the, the fantastic he's come across I think he's a, he's a great personality aside from the qualities he brings you know two Bundesliga titles um, and, he, and he's a good fit for Liverpool but I, I just it's, get, it's, it's getting tiresome for me already this this absolutely everything he does um it is worthy of it is worthy of of news coverage, and I think it goes beyond him. It's not his fault. He's not asking for people to to come out and write these stupid stories about him. But I I, I just hope that uh, that that before long he, he gets folks on the football rather than rather than having all this rammed down our throats um, just every other week about what he's doing, what he's having for breakfast, and how that makes him into a, a, the the best thing since sliced bread. That's uh, all tiny little run over. Yeah, Richie, anything to say on that? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think it's a great uh, addition to the Premier League. Um, you look at the way he plays his football, and I think I was just watching um, Carragher doing a bit of an analysis piece on Monday Night Football just earlier on this evening, sort of looking at, like, even so early on in his, in his uh, Liverpool career, how he's got, um, you know, the, the, the players, like, intensely closing players down. It's something that, you know, you think, well, how come every club, you know, why, do, why don't every club do that and how come every club can't do that? And the reality is that I think only the, only the really top-class managers like Klopp can actually, um, you know, get his players to do it and to do it, you know, 
week in week out, uh, and that's the difference between you know your your, your average managers, your good managers, your, your really top managers, and I think Klopp is a, is a is a very top manager. It's kind of installed on that um, that kind of work ethic, uh, which you know I think when we when we talk about places to serve, though, if you kind of have someone you know really top class manager who can actually you know literally get you those performances out of you, that's when you're going to see um, the results come. And I think um, I do think he's been very ambitious in uh, you know thinking that he can win the title in the next four years I think was his aim um, I think maybe that's the kind of statement that he's got to make uh, really to, to, to um, with, with his kind of appointment and you know Liverpool where they want to be um, but in reality I think you know they, they, they can't they can't compete financially with the likes of Man U Chelsea Man City and, and, and essentially you know you can I think we will see Liverpool Certainly, get back into that top four, maybe even the top three. But but I certainly can't see them uh, in that time period really looking at to to, to to actually be be, be title winners. I might, I might be wrong. Um, you know, I, I just don't know whether Liverpool are able to able to pull off a, another sign of the likes of uh, Suarez and for that you know for that black to to come as good as Suarez as Suarez became. But um, but yeah, I think overall it's a good appointment, and uh, yeah, I think I think it's. Uh, going to be whilst I'm not a massive fan of Liverpool by any means it'll be interesting to see you know how they how they play under under Klopp Thoughts on that Mike? Um, yeah, the only thing is it'll be interesting I know he's famed for this high pressing game but it'll be interesting to see whether he can he can keep that for the Premier League you, you've got to remember that Dortmund in the Bundesliga they have, a, they have that six week winter break um, which you know which will have a massive impact on them being able to play that high intensity high pressing game for the whole year so it'll be interesting to see how they adapt because it won't be possible um, physically for, for, for that squad um, to, to play at that intensity and consistently get results without that break that they have in Germany so um, that that will be the that will be the key point I think but yeah no, I, I'd agree with Richards um, I think he's a, he's, a, he's a perfect fit for them and I, and I think he can well win the title within four years um, certainly given the the, the, the problems that, the, that the, the other teams at the top of the league are having in the last couple of years so um, yeah no great great appointment and, uh, and, and looking forward to him seeing get him cracking Thank you very much. Uh, cheers, lads. It's been a pleasure. Nice to speak to you, Richie, as always. And Mike, thanks thanks for coming on. Mickey, it's been a while. Mm-hmm. It's been a while since I've done this and, and seen you, but hopefully, like Newcastle, I'm back for good. Uh, <laughs> please follow us on Twitter at TF Weekly Pod. We'll have the radio show this Friday, but since we're doing this special podcast tomorrow with the Love Supreme, Mick Martin, and a couple of journalists, we'll probably play that as the radio show on Friday. That will be available as a podcast before that. Um, and we'll be back next Monday with a Derby special uh, hopefully fingers crossed but please buy uh, Tony Higgins's book Homage to Mercia listen to our podcast we'll have another podcast coming up in November with Martin Hardy the last one we did about his book Touching Distance was so popular and I, I really enjoyed doing it on Newcastle under Kevin Keegan uh, in the mid 90s we're doing another one on that so any questions please get in touch or anything you'd like us to discuss with Martin let one know. We'll have a date for that pretty soon, probably uh, mid-November. Uh, and thanks so much for listening. Well done for getting an hour and 20 minutes through. Uh, obviously, we thought we'd do a big special long on Funny Castle winning because it only happens about six to eight times a season. Uh, so, yeah, thanks, lads, and thanks for listening. <laughs>